have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Matthew chapter 8. And let me just say this while you're opening up your Bibles or turning on your phones. Hey! Welcome back, guys! The band is back together. It's summer. The rainy season is among us. It looks like a tropical depression is just going to hover over Orlando for the next three months. Like, get excited. Who's excited in here about that, right? The midweek gathering of young adults is back on. We're going to study through the Bible. It's amazing. We've got music. We've got apparently iced vanilla lattes out there. Who had an iced vanilla latte? Right? This was awesome. So we're now caffeinated. Y'all are going to be a fun crowd. This is awesome. Hey, if we have any chance to meet, I think I've had a chance to meet most of you. My name's Doug. I'm the young adult pastor here. And if it's your first time or your 500th time, we are so excited. Uh, you've chosen to gather with us here today as we celebrate Jesus. And um, you should be excited for another reason, because this is week one of a four-week message series uh, called Kingdom Culture. And my task before uh, everyone, before God, before everyone is to, to walk us through what I, I think to be the, the, the essentials of following Jesus. Like if we could just boil it all down and, and, and do Christianity uh, with, with Cliff's notes, this is what we're going to try to cover over the next four weeks. Today, my task is to give the overview of the kingdom culture. And over the next three subsequent weeks, we're going to look at one of those aspects uh, in three parts, little by little, to just explore it a little more. But uh, just to kind of preview where we're going today, uh, I want to talk about something, and I want to connect it to the human experience of reality. I want to talk about cell phones on an airplane with no Wi-Fi, right? <laughs> the worst thing in the world, to have your smartphone on an airplane mid-flight and there's no Wi-Fi. Isn't that the worst? Like you're getting onto the plane, and like you have to cross the threshold thing, and you're like, oh man, this is terrible, there's recycled air, but at least they have Wi-Fi, and you're thinking it, and the stewardess or the flight attendant who's right there watching you come on, she knows you're thinking it, and as soon as y'all make eye contact, the first thing she says, she shoots you down early, she's like, no Wi-Fi, and you're like, oh, what am I going to do on this plane as it flies through the air over land and sea and clouds, man, look out the window, come on, right, you know, come on, man. Like, this is terrible. So, right. So, you guys uh, have been on planes, obviously, I think most of us, and you've been on planes with Wi-Fi. Tremendous experience, right? Because you're like, I'm bored. I want to watch Netflix. And they're like, there you go. You're like, awesome. I can watch Netflix now, right? Uh, I've been flying recently uh, quite a lot, and I don't like flying, just so you guys know. It's like one of my top five worst things ever. Can I just tell you, like, here are three of my top five worst things. Uh, Plane flights. Hawaii and volcanoes. The last week has been very bad for me, right? Shout out to Hawaii. I'm praying for you, but um, let me just say that's like my worst case scenarios to be in Hawaii when there's like lava coming out. It's just really crazy stuff, right? Anyway, but I'm on a plane recently. There's no Wi-Fi. It was really interesting because, uh, you know, they tell you to put your, plane, uh, your phone on airplane mode, uh, and I'm always like, why? Like, uh, okay, like, hey, you better put it on. And I, I learned why this is. It's actually not maybe for what you think. Um, but they, the stewardess was like, hey, put your, your phone on airplane mode. I was like, okay, whatever. And I just kind of put it in the seat and we're taking off and we're doing our thing. And then uh, about halfway through the flight, I realized, oh, I haven't put it on airplane mode. So I picked it up and I looked and my phone was searching. It didn't have a Wi-Fi on the plane. My phone is searching for wireless internet. You guys see that? It's just like 
you, you keep refreshing it, hoping it'll find something at 35,000 feet. Well, maybe someone has a, you know, network open, and it's just, just going and going and going. I'm like, oh, okay. I put it back in. I'm like, whatever. I forgot to put it on airplane mode. So we're getting ready to land. I was like, oh, man, my phone is still not on airplane mode. So I pick it back up and look at it. It's still searching for Wi-Fi signal. And I look over at my battery, and my battery is at 20%. And it was full when I got on the plane. I was like, what is going on? And so the stewardess like comes by and she's like, that's why I tell you to put it on airplane mode. I was like, really? That's why? She's like, yeah, because what happens is your, your phone is searching for wireless signals. It's, it's hoping there's a tower that's gonna ping back to it and tell you there's Wi-Fi so it can kind of rest. And because it can't find Wi-Fi, it's constantly searching for a signal, trying to find it, and it drains your battery on your phone. So as a courtesy, we just tell you to put it on airplane mode so that you have cellular usage once you touch down. I was like, man, that's so kind of you, right? Thank you very much, Southwest Air. I'm gonna fly again, so. And the peanuts were great as well, thank you. Here's what I tell this story. I think, air, uh, I think cell phones or smartphones on an airplane with no Wi-Fi uh, is a great um, analogy for the human experience, okay? We're a lot like smartphones on an airplane with no Wi-Fi. We are searching for this thing called significance. We're searching for it, and we're searching for it, and we're just hoping some cosmic tower is gonna ping back to us and tell us that yes, you are significant. Your life matters. Uh, what you're doing is important. It's weighty. It's worth it. We're just hoping somewhere, someone, something is just gonna communicate back to us. You have significance. And for many of us in this room, in our lives, We've been searching all our lives and we haven't yet found that significance. Maybe that's you who's here today. Maybe it's a friend you know, a family member, and they're just searching for significance, searching for significance, searching for significance, and nothing's pinging back. And they keep searching and searching and searching. And it, it causes this, this uh, experience. Maybe you've, you've seen it before, you felt it. it's called restlessness. You guys know what restlessness is? Um, how many of you guys experienced restlessness before in your life? Not because you're searching for significance, just in general, right? I, I'm the king, I'll just admit, I'm the king of restlessness because I will wake up at like, I'll go to sleep at 10, I'll wake up at midnight and I'll be thinking about something and it'll capture my attention and I'll be like, oh, I can't go to sleep now. And I'll just stay up, just, it's just mulling over in my mind. I'm like, oh man, do I need to mow the, the yard today or tomorrow? Oh man, I'm thinking through all my HOA rules and I'm like, oh, I guess it could be, should I get up now? Would that wake up the neighbors? How early can I get up? Is six o'clock too early? And then I'm on my phone looking at what sunrise is. Sunrise is not up, right? And I'm just, I'm just thinking and I'm restless in bed, right? We've all experienced this kind of restlessness. Why are human beings restless? Because what's happening is we're searching for this significance and we don't find it. And the, the process of just continually searching and thinking and hoping, it just makes us really restless. And this is a huge problem. It's a huge problem in our, in our life. Here's what we do when we find ourselves restless. We try things to try to help us find rest. And if you're someone who's searching for significance and you haven't found it yet, uh, you're likely to be like one of any of these scenarios. Uh, you get restless, so you switch jobs, right? Okay. I don't like my current job, so maybe if I switch to this new job, then I'll find significance in my work, right? I'm a medical doctor, so now I'm gonna go be a missionary. I'm a, I'm a missionary, now I'm gonna go be a medical doctor. I'm, I'm a, you know, a plumber, I'm now gonna go be a heart surgeon, right? Something like this. If I can just find the right job, maybe then I'll have significance. Maybe if you're a college student who's here today, you switch majors. 
Uh, maybe you switch it multiple times per semester, right? Like, uh, it's not biology for me. Maybe I'll go into, I don't know, engineering. Um, engineering's not for me. I'll go into accounting. Accounting's not for me. I'll go into drama. Like, I'll just do whatever I've got to do because maybe if I find the right major, there'll be this cosmic ping back to me telling me I am significant. If you don't switch majors, maybe you switch careers. Maybe you start dating. Maybe you stop dating, Right? I'm dating the wrong person. If I stop dating, then maybe I'll find that significance. I'm not dating the right person. Maybe if I date the right person, I'll find significance. Maybe you're like uh, one of the millions of Americans who make impulse purchases, right? Oh, there's something missing in my life. That's not significant. You know what I need? A new Jeep right now. That'll make everything better, right? <laughs> Top down, driving down I-4, avoiding all the construction work. Maybe then I'll have significance. See, of course, the thing is, once you make an impulse purchase, then you experience buyer's remorse, right? And what is buyer's remorse? Buyer's remorse is you thought you would find significance in this, you didn't. And so now you're going, oh, I made a terrible mistake, right? Maybe you're someone who says this, if I could just get out of Orlando, then maybe I would find, there's another city out there that's better built for me, and if I get there, then I'll find significance. Here's the problem with the search for significance. If you're trying to locate significance in anything else other than God, the grass is always gonna be greener on the other side, right? Then you're gonna get to the other side and you realize, man, this grass, this grass is kind of brown, right? It doesn't work. We are human beings who are a lot like that smartphone on an airplane, no Wi-Fi. We're searching, we're searching, we're searching for significance, and we're incredibly restless. And I'm struck by the life of Jesus and how often when you look at Jesus, he doesn't live this way. Jesus is not restless. Jesus understands his significance. He understands the meaning of life, and he just lives this peaceful, focused a life of momentum. And I just want to say this here today. Before we move forward in anything we're going to talk about uh, in the kingdom culture, I think it's going to be really important for us to just do some reverse engineering. If we're all in here looking for a life of significance, and I think that's probably most of us, right? And Jesus is someone who lives a life of great significance, then it might be really wise for us to look at his life and reverse engineer back. What is it that Jesus does that leads him to this life of significance? And what can we begin to incorporate in our lives that helps us to also lead this life of significance? And so if you have your Bibles or your phones open, make sure they're on airplane mode. And let's open up to, to Matthew chapter 8. That was a terrible joke. I apologize up front. But I should warn you, there's more coming. So here we go. Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 23. You've probably uh, heard this before if you know someone who's been to VBS. And here's what... Matthew writes, and when he, Jesus, got into a boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. Pause there, okay? I don't want to allegorize this text, because this event right here that I'm reading actually happened, okay? Jesus did get into a boat. It did become stormy on this body of water. The boat was rocking, okay? Okay? But there's a lot that we see here that we can draw out of this text in terms of its uh, meaning for our life, right? Many of us find ourselves in this life where if we could describe it metaphorically, it would be like we're in a boat and the waves are coming, right? So just put yourself in the boat with Jesus here. How would you have responded? 
I know how I would have responded. Put me on the shore right now. Jesus, you have miraculous power. I don't care what you have to do. Teleport me like Star Trek. I don't care. Just get me onto the shore. I don't like boats. I don't like water unless I'm drinking it. And I don't want to be drinking it because there's a lot of it, a lot more of it than it is me. Just put me on the shore for the love of God whatever you got to do, right? I would be freaking out. I would be up trying, like if the boat was turning this way, I would move this way because I would think that my mere poundage would be able to offset that. I'd be trying to control the situation. I'd be like, you guys go starboard. I don't know what starboard is, but it sounds good. Go there. I've seen Pirates of the Caribbean. It just sounds right. Swash the deck or whatever you guys do. I don't know, right? Like, I don't know. I don't know. These terms sound familiar. This is, I'd be trying to control the situation because Uh, that's how I operate. I have issues. I have control issues. I would be freaked out by this moment. What would you guys be doing? I want you to notice what Jesus does after the colon here. But he was asleep. This is a man who is not restless, okay? His whole world is just, and he's just asleep on a boat. Why? Because Jesus understands his significance. And he's at rest. He's at peace. He knows who he is. He knows who he is. He knows whose he is. He's God's. And he's at peace. And we learn some things about him. Verse 25. And they, the disciples, went and woke him. This is what I would be doing, uh, Jesus. Um, point of order here. Uh, I don't know if you notice this as you're coming into consciousness, but there are waves a rocking, and this boat is a rocking, and maybe you could address that, your lordship, please. Thank you. So this is what they're doing. That's the playbook they're going on, and they say this: "Save us, Lord. We are perishing." They're freaking out. They're a cell phone on a plane with no Wi-Fi, trying to find signal. That's oh, what I imagine. It's in the Greek. That's what they say. Um, <laughs> verse 26. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and he rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great, what's that word? Calm. Jesus' life is calm. Why? Because he understands his significance. He knows what he's doing. Verse 27. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this? that even the winds and the sea obey him. And I'll tell you who that man is. It's Jesus. He's not just a man. He's fully God too. That's why he's sovereign over the ocean. That's why he could have rest on that boat. That's why he could live the life of significance. And this is the man who is God, who I think we should learn from here today. It's the kind of, of God who if he lived in our lives, he would be calm amidst everything going on. Anything bad happens to him, he would be calm. Anything good happens to him, he would be calm. No matter what the situation, he would be calm. Why would he be calm? I think part of the reason Jesus would be calm, part of the reason that Jesus uh, has such peace in his life is because Jesus lives according to the rhythm of the kingdom dynamic. He is at all times intimately aware of what's really going on. He's not phased by all the stuff going around him. He is at all times keenly aware of what the Father is doing and how he can tap into that and hear what the Father is saying and then act in accordance with what God is saying to him. And the way that Jesus is able to live at this level of calm is because Jesus um, operates, he moves forward, he prescribes, he practices three critical rhythms to the Christian life. And these three critical rhythms make up the kingdom dynamic. 
that I want us to talk about over the next four weeks. And here they are for us. If you have uh, bulletins, you can fill these in. The three critical rhythms of the Christian life, and they all be going to see because we're Baptist. Number one, compassion. Number two, community. And number three, celebration. Compassion, community, and celebration. Compassion, community, and celebration. I want to address each of these uh, and mention a passage or so just to do some explanation. First, compassion. Jesus regularly practices compassion to others. And a passage I want to read for you guys, if you want to write it down and look at it later, is um, in Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 35, just a, a chapter later. It says this, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had, there's that word, compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and to send out laborers into his harvest. What does it mean that Jesus practiced regular compassion? Uh, it, It means this, that when Jesus looked out and he saw people, if he saw that they were people who were helpless, that they were sheep without a shepherd, if they were people who, who didn't understand their significance, if they were people who were lost and restless and searching, he realized that the natural, logical, Christian, biblical thing to do, the kingdom thing to do, would be to begin a ministry conversation with them one-on-one to relate with them, whites of the eyes and connect with them and ask them, hey, do you have everything you need? And if they said, no, I'm lacking this one thing, he made sure they got it. Very simply, he went to people and said, do you have everything you need? If they said, no, I'm lacking, he made sure they had it. That's it, that's compassion. It's you see people and if they're lacking, you make sure that they get what they need. Whether you give it to them or whether you arrange for a friend to give it to them or whether you arrange for a a charity to give it to them, it doesn't matter. Just make sure if someone's lacking that they get what they need. Now, it wasn't that Jesus went up to them like a genie and gave them whatever they want. Let me be clear on this. It's not that Jesus went up and started singing a number from Aladdin, right? He's like, hey, Mr. Aladdin, sir, right? He's not breaking into song and dance here. He's looking at their needs, something that's fundamental to their life, and he's saying, if you need this and you're lacking, I'm going to make sure, I'm going to use everything in my power, which is considerable because he's Jesus, to give them what they needed to make sure that they're provided for. Um, I was thinking about this aspect, this ideal of compassion here uh, today, uh, because there's, I, I'm aware that there's this, um, there's kind of this tension uh, in, in, within us when we think about compassion, right? We're, the, the, the common example I cite all the time is you're, you're pulling off the highway, right? And you, you get onto the side street and you see the homeless person who's standing there with a cardboard sign, and I need food, and there's like the tension inside of you. You're like, okay. On the one hand, Jesus, could you please bring someone to take care of this person? I'm not sure if they're just trying to steal money from me, but in any event, could you please bring Jesus to take care of this person, right? And that's a good first step towards compassion, but we're still not at compassion yet, right? Compassion is not, Jesus, will you please send someone? Compassion is, 
Jesus, will you please let me know if I'm the someone who needs to go take care of them? I'm willing to go take care of them. Help, help me against my foolishness, right? Um, there's this, I, can't, I don't know if I've told this story before. Oh, this is a good one. Yeah, I'm going to tell it anyway. Anyway, so <laughs> I was in college, and um, <laughs> I can't believe I did this. Uh, I went to uh, a coffee shop with my friend, and we were talking. My friend was um, Indian, uh, Hindu, and uh, wasn't a Christian. So I'm talking to her uh, about this, uh, about the gospel. And I'm like, okay, here's what it means to believe in Jesus. Here's what it means to live in the kingdom. She has all these questions. And I kind of get onto this topic of charity and compassion. And I feel really good. Like I gave her a good, solid answer, right? And then this homeless man walks up to us and he says, excuse me, do you guys have any money? I need to get to this grocery store on the other side of town. And I feel the impulse in me to go, no, we're good, bro. Like, do this, and then I realize if I, if I do that, I will just have invalidated everything I just said to her in the effort of talking about the reality of who Jesus is. And so I just, I, I hear God say, hey, this is a great opportunity for you to show some compassion. Um, now, it, it gets worse, so I'm going to be really clear. I'm going to come back to the good thing. You guys just stick with me. So I'm like, sure, we have money to help you get where you want to get, but we also have a car. Can we take you there, Right? And he's like, yeah, thank you. Here's what I didn't notice. Uh, it was August in Texas. It was 105 degrees, and he was wearing a long army-issued trench coat, okay? Um, uh, yeah, so that should have been my first thing. There might be some mental health things going on there with this gentleman. Anyway, but I'm just like, hey, yeah, I'm going to show you what the gospel is. And so she's like, okay. And so we get into the car. I'm sitting here. She's sitting here. He's sitting in the back seat. I was thinking it was like a limo service. I didn't want him to sit up front. I was like, no, 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 you sit in the back. Which I realized later may have been a mistake from a tactical position. Anyway, so we get in the car and we start driving. And I'm like, where do you want to go? And he's like, I want to go to this grocery store across town. I'm like, sure, that's great. And Then he says this, I'm a little cold. Do you mind turning up the heat? And I was like, oh, this is going to be bad, right? So I'm like, sure. And I crank it up all the way to the red, and I turn it on full blast, and I look at my friend, and um, I was just like, this could be bad. Anyway, so we're driving, and and we're on our way, and I'm just like talking to him like, hey, do you you have everything you need? And And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. I just need to get there. And I was like, are you sure you have everything you need? He's like, yeah. You know what's great? The other day, I just bought a knife. And I was like, oh, no, this is bad. He's like, he's like, you want to see it? Like, and he was real aggressive at this point. And I look over at my friend, and she's like, like this. And I'm like, yes, I do want to see it, <laughs> right? And he's like, okay. So he pulls it out, and I immediately snatch it from him, right? And I'm like, oh, this is amazing. And I'm driving. I'm like, can my friend see it? He's like, yeah. So I hand it to her, and I was like, don't give it back, right? <laughs> So we're driving, and he immediately starts, like, kind of hallucinating a little bit. And I'm like, oh, man. And I'm looking. I'm like, okay, how much longer? It's five minutes. And I'm like, hey, could you turn it over? I want to see what the handle action looks like on the other side. And he's like, hey, can I get my knife back? And I was like, hold on a second. My friend's looking at it. This is a great knife, right? And I'm just trying to talk to him about how great knives are. And one time I got a knife one time. I'm going into any story I can to just delay, right? Finally, we get to the grocery store. We, we uh, park. Uh, uh, we open the doors, uh, she tosses me the knife, he gets out, and he's like, hey, can I have my knife back? And I said, yes. I said, get in the car. We both get in, I throw it out the door like slow motion, pull the door shut, put it into reverse, and then peel out of there. And I I roll down my window as we're driving off at 20 miles an hour. Be blessed, friend, and like we go, right? (laughs) 
And that was it. And my friend looks at me on the way back and she's like, man, Christianity is awesome, right? <laughs> I was like, yes, it is, right? Now, here's what I love about that story. I love that I, as a naive freshman or sophomore, was super willing to engage uh, in compassion, right? But that would have been one of those times where if I, I'm pretty sure if I said, God, do you really want me to drive him somewhere? God would have said, Doug, look at this man's clothes. Just think through the situation here. There are healthy ways to have compassion on people within boundaries. I didn't know at that, at that time, God was merciful on me and that was great. But this is a great model of compassion because, and not that I'm trying to promote myself, I'm clearly the idiot in this story, but the, the disposition here of compassion is not Jesus, will you send someone? It's Jesus, am I that someone? Right? I'm willing to step forward and help this person. Am I that someone? Can I tell you one more story just because I'm a proud dad here? Okay. So my daughter graduated from kindergarten today. Thank you. They had like a cool official ceremony for her with a cap and gown and all that stuff. And my son was kind of screaming halfway through because it was a really long ceremony. And I took him in the back and I'm like trying to calm him down and like kick the ball with him. And her teacher walks up and goes, hey, Doug, you want to get back in there? Grace is going to win an award. And I was like, awesome. Is she valedictorian of her, of her like, class? Like, cool. Like, that'd be real awesome. She's like, no, not that award. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, I'm just excited. So I go back in, and the school where my daughter goes has, um, like, a special needs school with it, okay? And it's an integrated system. My, my daughter has some special needs friends in her class or whatever. Anyway, and so this person gets up and says, hey, we want to give these awards out. And it's not one for every class. It's just for the people we see who are extraordinary in this. Um, these students showed incredible compassion and love to everybody, but specifically to our friends with special needs. And so she gets up and she says, Grace Hankins wins this award. I'm telling you, I did the whole dad thing because there was like some dads around me and we kind of talked and I was like, that's cool. And I'm tearing up and I'm like, man, my glasses are getting foggy. Someone's cutting onions here, right? I could not help it, man. I was getting so emotional. My daughter is so loving and compassionate to, to people. And, and here's what one of the uh, parents of one of the children came up and said to me. Like, Grace doesn't ask permission to come be friends with my daughter. Grace just comes and just comes up to him and his friends. She's, she is reckless. She is relentless. She's lavish with the way that she pours friendship out on everybody. That's compassion, right? That's compassion as modeled by my daughter. It's not, God, will you send somebody? It's, God, I think I'm that somebody and I'm gonna go. And Jesus practiced this rhythm all the time. Go back and look through the scripture. Jesus goes to a town, he had compassion on people. He sees people who are hungry and has compassion on them, so he multiplies the bread and the loaves and the, and the uh, fish, right? Jesus constantly and everywhere he goes and every day is sensitive to where he needs to have compassion in any city he goes to. That's number one. Number two, Jesus has community. Jesus practices community. In John 15, verse 11 through 17, it says this. And John writes, these things, Jesus is speaking. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your, uh, your, your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another. Anytime you see a one another in the New Testament, this is a community verse. Love one another, bear one another's burdens, 
Uh, be kind to one another. Be gracious with one another. These are community commandments. And Jesus is giving out a community commandment here to his disciples. Verse 13. No greater, uh, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. Jesus turns to his disciples and says, in case you're curious about it, all of this, we're friends. That's why I've acted this way with you, because we're in community together. For all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you that you will love one another. Here's the thing that I think Jesus practiced when he practices community, the, the, the best way to sum it up. For Jesus, friendship is not a luxury. Friendship is a necessity. For Jesus, friendship is not a luxury. Friendship is a necessity. Jesus didn't make friends optional when he was bored. For Jesus, friendship was part of the regular rhythm of the way he lived. He constantly lived in friendship. Anybody in here like, just loves being around friends all the time, right? Okay, see, people not holding your hands probably think that you're crazy, right? And they'll say that to you like, oh my gosh, I don't have your friendship stamina. Like, I don't understand this, right? Um, and it's not that Jesus was an extrovert or an introvert, right? I don't want to get into any of that uh, psychology, personality stuff. That's really important. But at a general, as a general rule, Jesus made friendship a necessity. He sought it out. He was proactive about it. He made sure that he was around friends. He didn't wait for people to make friends with him. He proactively made friends with people. He sought people out when he's having compassion with them. And then he noticed there's chemistry. And he said, let's become friends. And he took them out to lunch and he had dinners with them and he walked with them between cities. And he just invested in people. He was constantly, all the time, looking for people to invest in who would also invest back in him. For Jesus, friendship is a necessity. And if you're someone who's here today who wants to find significance in this life, not only are you going to be someone who regularly practices compassion, but you're going to be someone who regularly seeks out community and learns to live in community. That by everything you do, you, you filter things not only through God and what he wants, but through the community that God's placed around you in your friendships. Uh, so that in everything, you're doing things with wisdom and with charity uh, and in accordance with what uh, people who love you think about you. They're giving you good pings back on your life. That's community. Finally, the last one is this. The last one is celebration. Jesus regularly practiced celebration. I could have said this. Jesus liked to party. Uh, when I was, well, I'll tell you that in a little bit. Let me read the, the Bible verse here. John 21, 10 through 14, uh, it says, Jesus said to them, oh, this is funny. I should give you the context. Jesus has just, uh, he's just been resurrected from the dead. Okay, so just imagine you died and three days later you rose from the dead. What would you do? What would your first move be, right? Some of you are like, I'm going to Target. They're having a sale, right? I'm there. Go to the dollar aisle. Some of you are going to like, uh, you know, Gator's Dockside, grabbing some wings, right? Some of you are going to go... Uh, to the beach, right? This is what Jesus chose. He chose to go to the beach. He's a beach person, not a mountain person, apparently. So Jesus goes to the beach, and notice what he does. Jesus said to them, the disciples, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went, abroad, uh, went aboard and hauled uh, the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. John's getting specific, right? It wasn't 152, it was 153 fish, because Jesus is awesome. And although there were so many, the net was not torn, 
Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. First thing Jesus does when he comes back from the dead is he throws a party on a beach. That's a Lord I can serve, right? Okay? Jesus is someone you can party with, right? And I mean that in every sense of the word. Jesus is someone you can party with. Jesus loved to throw parties. He loved it. Think about all the times Jesus had food. Think about that. Okay? Think about all the times he's at a party. His first miracle is turning water into wine at a wedding reception. Okay? Jesus is at a wedding reception, and they're like, let's get this party lit. <laughs> Jesus, right? And it got lit, right? It was amazing. <clears throat> Jesus partied with tax collectors and prostitutes, okay? He went and found people on the margins of society and said, do you guys go to parties? And they were like, no, listen, we're tax collectors, we're prostitutes, people don't like us in society. And he's like, not today, Satan, right? And he throws a party, and it's amazing, right? Jesus had his last supper with the disciples in an upper room. He's throwing a party. Jesus, from that moment, commemorates one of the two ordinances. The Lord's Supper, which, if you think about it, is a party. Why? Because there's bread and there's wine. That's a party, right? You go to any, like, highfalutin party, there's bread and wine, right? Okay? <laughs> Lord's Supper, bread and wine. Jesus threw a party. And, finally, we read here, he had breakfast on the beach after the resurrection. <coughs> Jesus liked to have fun. He liked to celebrate. He liked to celebrate around the table. And what was he celebrating? He was celebrating his love for God and his love for people. Anytime Jesus could, he would regularly get around people and he would celebrate with them. And at some point, I just imagined that they would ask him, hey, wait, Jesus, why are you hanging out with us? Like you are like the son of God. And he's like, because I love God and because I love you, because I want you to know that God loves you. And that's how I like to get down at a party, right? I don't care what happens, right? Uh, we're playing pin the tail on the donkey, uh, we're watching a sports contest. Uh, we're grilling in the backyard. We're going to grill in the backyard to the glory of God, right? We're just going to party. And I'm going to tell you that God loves you and I love you. And, and this is the best day of your life. And I want to celebrate that with you. Jesus was in the regular habit of celebrating things and partying. Think about how many times in your life something good happens and you just do this thing. Wow. Okay, what's the next thing on my to-do list, right? You just immediately are like, that was amazing. Next, right? And you just move along. Um, I am like that. Something good will happen and they'll go, people will come up to me and go, Doug, that was so good. I'm like, yeah, it was. So what are we doing tomorrow, right? I'm immediately on to the next thing because I'm, I'm all about kind of what's next, what's next, what's next. Jesus regularly slowed down and celebrated every good thing that happened. And the reason he did this is because he's the son of God. And when God created this whole thing, you know what he did on the seventh day? He said it was good, and then he rested. God partied on day seven and celebrated everything that he created. And Jesus sees this from the Father and says, this is the way I'm regularly gonna live my life. I'm gonna have compassion on people. I'm gonna invite them into community with me. And we're gonna celebrate what God's doing. And then after we celebrate, we're gonna go have compassion on people. And we're gonna invite them into community. And we're gonna celebrate what God's doing. And then when everybody's there, we're gonna split the parties into four parties. We'll text everybody the locations. And then we're gonna go and have compassion on people. We're gonna bring them into community. And we're gonna celebrate what God's doing. 
So if this is the kingdom dynamic, and I think it is, I think this is the way Jesus regularly lives his life. I think this is the way uh, Jesus prescribes the way we would be wise to adopt to live our lives because I think it's the way of significance. If you're looking for significance, it's in this rhythm. And so therefore, I think it means two things. I think number one, we have to ask this question, what does this kingdom dynamic mean for me individually? Number two, what does this mean for us organizationally? Let me take them in turn. Number one, what do I think this means for us, for you individually? I think it means four things. Number one, you've got to realize the kingdom of God, kingdom of God here is the rhythm of Jesus, the kingdom of God is available. It's available. You can practice it in the here and now. You can have significance today. You don't have to wait to go to heaven to find your significance, Right? As a believer in Jesus, you can start having significance today. The kingdom of God, the community, the compassion, the celebration, it's available right now to you. You can reach out and touch it. If you're someone who wants to follow Jesus today, and I mean really follow him, maybe you're a believer, maybe you're not, but you say, today is the day I want to follow Jesus, guess what? It's available for you today. These rhythms can be practiced and applied today. The beautiful things about these rhythms are they're like ogres and onions. There's layers, right? Shout out Shrek being on Netflix. Uh, but yeah, there's layers. You can, you, can, you can practice this kingdom dynamic at layer one. You can practice it at layer two. You can get better and better and better at living this kingdom dynamic. There's just tons of layers in each one of these rhythms. It's available today. <clears throat> Number two, it's sustainable. This kingdom dynamic, the, the rhythms of Jesus, they're minimal to manage. You're not trying to manage 50 things in order to be a Christian, right? Some of you may have gone to churches before, or you've kind of been around religious communities, and it's like, listen, in order to be a Christian, you've got to believe in Jesus, and you've got to read your Bible every day, you've got to pray, you've got to give, you've got to join a small group, and you've got to come to church on Sunday, and you've got to go on mission trips, and you've got to vote Republican, and uh, you've got to really like Christian music, really like it, though, like... No hidden Metallica on your playlists, right? Okay? So, and you got to live in the South, and you got to love NASCAR, and you got to love high school football, and you got to love soccer, and you got to love international people, and you got, right? And you're just like, oh my gosh, this sounds so overwhelming to be a Christian, right? Can I just be a pagan? I hear they don't do anything. Like, that just sounds way more fun, right? No, listen, you want to be a Christian? You really want to live a life of significance? It's three things. Regularly practice compassion. Regularly practice community. Regularly celebrate that. Repeat. That's it. It's, it's manageable. It's manageable. Number three. <coughs> I'm sorry. It's sustainable. It's measurable. It's available. It's sustainable. It's measurable. Again, one of the things, one of the problems we have, especially as believers, especially if you grew up in church culture, is you're, again, you're going through the checklist of like 15 things. You're like, okay, wait, have I read my Bible today? Something's off, right? You kind of start quoting John Mayer, something's missing, and I'm not sure how to fix it, right? You're like, I don't know what's going on. You're like, okay, would I read my Bible? Did I go to church? Did I talk to someone about Jesus? Did I give some money? Did I donate to charity? Did I talk to a homeless person? Did I go on a mission trip, right? You're like, okay, maybe if I do one of these things, then maybe I'll find this kind of significant, right? No, no, listen, it's measurable. Hey, I feel out of rhythm. Something's off. It's three things. Am I adequately celebrating like I need to? 
Am I adequately in community? Or am I practicing isolation? Am I adequately showing compassion? Have there been opportunities for me to show compassion and be the somebody, and I just overlooked them? Well, here's the thing. This is how God works. Once you know one of those three criteria, just go back to the last time you knew you didn't do something and just go do that, right? Just make a quick course correction. Super easy. Three steps, right? It's like playing Nintendo. Very simple, okay? It's just three steps right there. So it's available, it's sustainable, it's measurable, and finally, it's transferable. It can be practiced anywhere. It can be practiced by anyone. You can practice this dynamic at First Orlando. You can practice this rhythm at Celebration or Discovery or Northland or First Baptist Winter Garden, the Catholic Church down the street. You can practice this in Brazil or America or Venezuela or Haiti or St. Lucia or the DR or Russia or China or wherever God sends you. You can practice this at your job now. You can practice at the job God's going to send you to next. You can practice this single. You can practice this engaged. You can practice this married. You can practice this single again. You can practice this with kids. You can practice this without kids. You can practice this anywhere, at any time, at any point. It's transferable. It's transferable to everywhere, and it's transferable to anyone in any culture. It's beautiful. So, in light of this, how should we respond? I want us to practice something, okay? Actually, I want us to practice a couple of things. I'm going to invite, well, I'm not going to invite yet. I want you to do something before I tell you about this individually. Just we're going to do, do something a little crazy here today. I want you to turn to somebody in here, and I want you to give them a high five and ask them their name and ask them their story. Okay? Just try that right now, and then we're, we're going to practice some community right here today. So just turn to someone maybe you don't know and just give them a high five and ask them their name. Okay, you got 30 more seconds to do this. Y'all are getting names. This is good. Huh? No, just get a name, get a story. The quick version of the story. Quick version. Okay? Take about 30 more seconds. 30 more seconds. Just community. Okay, okay, okay. Nope, that was good, that was good. Okay, let's, uh, let's process this together. Come here, come here. All right, man, y'all are awesome at this. Hey, did anybody, did anybody have a stepbrothers moment where they're like, did we just become best friends? Did that happen? Okay, Brady, you're best friends with everybody, Brady. Right, hey, guess what? You know what we just practiced a little bit? That, that was community. Hey, how are you? What's your story? Nice to meet you. Right? That's it. That's how community starts. Okay? I want to try something else here. I want us to practice each of these. Uh, but the second one I want to practice, I want to practice compassion. Um, this is crazy. Uh, if you feel like you got some extra money in your pocket, and you're like, God wants me to give this to some kind of kingdom cause. You're not getting any tax credit for this. You can't claim this on your taxes, right? This is just for the Jesus. 
Uh, here's what I'm gonna do. I got a red cup here, and it's mostly empty of the water I was drinking. Uh, but here's what's gonna happen. Uh, in a little bit, we're gonna sing a song, okay? And I, I wanna invite you, if you've got some money, and you, just God's telling you right now, just put some money in here. No one's gonna check this. I, I promise you we're gonna be totally kosher about this. I wanna invite you to come put this money, or if, Alec, if we can find something better than my nasty cup, that'd be great. But it'll be next to the red solo cup. I'm gonna invite you to come put it up here in a basket. And we're just gonna take an offering, and here's what we're gonna do. After this, afterwards, if anything, um, after we're done, we hug and pray and people leave. If you're someone who's here today and you have a need, I want you to come find me privately and just, we'll just see if maybe God gives us enough money to take care of you. Sound good? Why? Because I want us to practice compassion, okay? Instead of asking, send somebody, we're saying, God, can I be that somebody? Alec, you got something better for us? Cool, battery boxes. That's a step up than my nasty cup. Okay, so why don't we put one battery box here, one battery box over here, that's great, okay? Okay, I wanna celebrate in just a little bit, but before we do that, I wanna talk about what this means for us organizationally, okay? We had this idea once, we, we've been talking about this kingdom dynamic for a while, and as the staff, as leaders, life group leaders and adult mentors and coaches, we were just thinking, what would it look like if we repackaged and reframed our young adult ministry around the kingdom dynamic? What if we reorganized and, and kind of rebranded our programming around the, the three rhythms of Jesus? What would that look like? And we came up with this, this answer, right? And I wanna to talk to you about what this answer is, but here's basically the philosophy behind it. We said this, what if in our programming, what if we, by people's very participation in that programming, we were training them in how to regularly live out the rhythms of Jesus so that our people, just by virtue of participating with us, could begin to experience the significance that Jesus wants to bring us, right? It's a fair question. And Here's the idea behind this. We, the, the more repetitions you have with anything, the better and the more natural you get at that. You guys get that idea? The more repetitions you have in something, the better you get. I'll give you a great example, and I hope it doesn't embarrass uh, our good friend David Branch, who's on staff with us. David Branch, as you guys know, is a college baseball player, and um, I knew this about him kind of when I first met him, but I was just kind of abstract, like, okay. But then I went to go play baseball or go play football with David Branch, and the first time I, th I saw him throw a baseball, it was like magic, let me tell you. <laughs> like, it's incredible. Not that you should do this sometime, because that would creep him out completely, but if you could watch David Branch throw a baseball, it's pretty impressive. It's just, it's, it's flawless. It's like his body was made to throw a baseball really, really well. It's just perfect form and his follow-through snaps and the ball zips and he can control the speed, like same form and then he'll slow it down or same form and then he'll speed it. It's beautiful. When he throws a football, oh my goodness, it's gorgeous. It's amazing. It's like ballet. You're just like, this is incredible. And I asked David, I was like, man, you're really good at throwing baseballs. You know what he said to me? He said, yeah, I've practiced it over and over and over and over again since the time I was like three or four. Like since I was a fetus, like I, that was it, right? I was in my mom's womb, I found some kind of cylindrical object and I just started throwing it, right? Is that too far, is it too far? Sorry about that. But, but you guys get the point, right? David has, has over years, time and time and time again, just muscle memory after muscle memory after rep after rep after rep after rep. He has learned to throw a baseball till now. It looks flawless to him. It looks flawless to us, right? 
we're thinking, what if in our programming, we just program around the kingdom dynamic? So the people who participate with us just keep staying in that rhythm. They're regularly practicing celebration and regularly practicing community and regularly practicing compassion over and over and over again. That just by virtue of you guys participating with us, you get some significant reps that maybe what that might do is transfer into your individual lives that you begin to live this uh, daily, anywhere you go, no matter where God sends you from Orlando. And so here's the big plan here, right? On the screen, you can see this uh, triangle. Here's what he said. You guys know this. We have this thing called life groups where we practice community. Uh, And the way we've talked about it is we talk about it like it's the couch, right? The couch is where our life groups are. These are small groups of of people, friends, who meet in homes and apartments across Orlando. And the sticky phrase we use about our life groups is we make room on the couch, right? So if you're someone who isn't in a life group and friendship sounds fun and you're like, hey, I would really love to uh, have some Christian friends and practice the rhythm of community. Uh, Can I just invite you to come find one of us afterwards, the new here area, uh, right out here in the lobby. Come find us, and we would love to tell you more information about some type of life group you can get in, because we think community begins on the couch, and any any life group we have, they're all open, they'll make room on the couch for you guys, anybody who wants to be in it, because we want you to practice community regularly. The second thing we have here is something we haven't had and this is what we're, we're talking about, our compassion programming. Our compassion program, we're going to start calling the city, right? Because this is what Jesus did. He went to the city and he practiced compassion. And God's given us this beautiful city called Orlando, right? And most of us, if we're honest, we're takers from the city, right? We take from Disney and Universal and other parks. We take from the beautiful weather. We take from lake days. We take from the roads, Uh, We take from the concerts that came in, like Justin Timberlake last night. Anybody at Justin Timberlake last night who wants to admit that? Okay, cool. All right, yes. It was good, wasn't it? It was great, yeah. Yeah, no judgment. I'm, I'm all about me some JT. Anyway, so right, we take and we take and we take and we take. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. With our city program, and we're just getting it launched, we just have this great idea. Uh, Paul McCartney, who's a, a, one of the Beatles, wrote this song called The End. It's the very end of the, the album, Abbey Road. And he says, in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. And when asked about that, he said, here's the thing about love. Uh, the more you give, the more you get. And I think Paul is right about the concept, but wrong in the sequence. I think when it comes to love, the more you get, the more you give, right? Because God first loved us, and so therefore we love others. And so in our compassion programming, here's what we wanna do. We wanna give back to the city. That's it. Not because we want the city to come to our church. We don't care about that. We want to go find people who have needs and we want to give back to the city that loves us and takes care of us. And so if you're someone who's really passionate about giving back to the city in a few weeks, uh, on June 5th, we're going to talk about our city initiatives and what we're doing. And guys, we've got some incredible stuff coming down the pipeline. I'm so excited for you guys to be a part of that. We'll say more about that in a couple weeks. But here's the big one. The big one is this. What are we going to do about our celebration program? And the idea we came up with is this idea of the table. And here's the reason why we're calling it the table. Number one, because anytime Jesus celebrates, typically there's food, there's a table. And we want our celebration event to be a table where people come and celebrate what God's doing in their lives. But it was all drawn together by this one story I'll tell you from a, guy, a person who's a student at the University of Michigan. This guy went on this long Twitter rant uh, about one of his classes. It was a marketing class. So uh, he said, 
man, every day I go to my class, there's this one foreign exchange student who's in my class next to me, and he puts all his crap in my seat. Like all his books, all his food, his cooler, everything, all his crap is in my seat. And so I show up to class and I walk in and there he is and his crap's in my seat and I, and I just look at him and I stand there and he looks up at me and he goes, oh, Tom, are you coming to class today? And I look at him and I say, yes, Aziz, I'm coming to class today. And he goes, oh, I'm so sorry, let me move my stuff. And he starts moving his stuff. And then I sit down in my seat and he looks at me and goes, high five. And I give him a high five and that's how we start class. Three times a week, 16 weeks out of the semester, every week I show up, his crap's in my seat. He looks at me, goes, oh, Tom, are you coming to my class today? And I say, yes, Aziz, I'm coming to class today. He moves his crap out of my seat and I sit down and goes, high five. He gives me a high five. And I've just been racking my brain trying to figure out, I don't know why this guy does this. And I couldn't figure it out until last week. I got to class a little early. I got a text message, and so I was looking at it, and out of the corner of my eye, I noticed that this person was trying to go and sit next to Aziz. And I thought, oh, this is rich. We'll see what happens, see if he goes through the same song and dance. So the guy goes and, and walks up and tries to sit down, says, hey, can I sit here? And Aziz looks at him and says, no, sorry, you can't sit here. All this crap in this seat here is because I'm saving it for my friend Tom. And it was then this guy says that he realized that guy was trying to be a friend. He wasn't trying to be a jerk. He was saving a seat for his friend. And we loved that idea when we talked about it. And we said, you know what we want to do at the table? We want to create an experience where everybody who's here saves a seat for their friend who's not here to come to the party and to celebrate what God's doing. As we regularly have compassion and reach people who are in our workplace, who are in our classes, who are in our neighborhoods, uh, who are in the restaurant that we go to all the time, as we engage them and we invite them to come into community with us, that we'll save a seat for them at this experience on a Tuesday night where we can come around the table and we can feed from God's word and we can celebrate what he's doing here together. Celebrate what he's doing here every night of the week regularly in the regular rhythm of the kingdom dynamic. And so if you're someone who's excited about doing something on Tuesday nights called the table, if you're excited about saving a seat for a friend, I wanna invite you to start praying now that God would fill your mind with the names of your friends and your coworkers and the people around you who you can save a seat for them because that's what Christians do. And that's who we wanna be, people who live lives of significance. Now, I'm looking at some of you guys. Y'all, y'all got the like, yep, cutting onions. Okay, yeah. And you guys are ready to celebrate. So here's what I wanna invite you to do. I wanna invite you to stand up if you're able. And I wanna celebrate who Jesus is here today as he is calling us to live in this kingdom dynamic. We're going to celebrate, and we're going to have people down front. Our staff will be down front. If you're someone who wants to pray, you've just got some prayer needs, big or small, and you want to get some prayer, there's some people who are down front. We'd love to pray with you, guys with guys and girls with girls. If you are moved by God because he said you have money in your pocket and you need to put it in a battery box, I want to invite you to come down front and put it in the battery box down here. And afterwards, privately, we'll talk about uh, if there are people who have needs. If you just want to sing this song and just contemplate, that's great. If you want to sit down and pray with somebody, that's great. If you need to move around and dance in the back, you do you. However you need to respond, this is your chance to celebrate the king who's on the throne, who's given us this dynamic. That when we live in this dynamic, we find significance, not just because we're behaving correctly, but because we know who it is who saved us in the first place and who's called us in this life of significance. I want to invite you to sing as we sing the song.
Our Father. What a great song. I invite you to sing Our Father with us, and I'll come back up after the response time.